0: Hello again, everyone, and thanks again for tuning in for in this new year of 2021. My name is Jeffrey Kwame. I'm your host and Executive Director of the Connecticut Certification Board. The CCB is a not-for-profit workforce development organization whose mission is to cultivate and maintain the highest standards of professional practice within the recovery industry. This podcast is in furtherance of that mission, and on behalf of the Board of Directors and staff of the CCB, I'd like to welcome you to this episode of Scope of Practice. The COVID-19 pandemic has presented significant challenges to the SUD treatment and recovery industry as it has forced all of us to change how we do business. No specific arm of the treatment system has been impacted more than inpatient and residential providers have been as it has attacked the very basic aspects of such care, the ability to have congregate living and treatment. Our guest today will discuss some of his organization's efforts to create an environment where the safety of the guests and staff are the priority and has allowed the organization to continue to do its valuable work. Dr. Gregory Boris is an award-winning physician, board-certified in both emergency medicine and addiction medicine. He is Vice President of Medical Affairs at HighWatch Recovery Center in Kent, Connecticut, and has served as the Chairman of the Department of Emergency Medicine at Griffin Hospital in Derby, Connecticut since 2002. He's also an Associate Professor of Emergency Medicine at the Quinnipiac University School of Medicine. Welcome, Dr. Boris.
1: Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Um, just as we start out, um, can you talk about um, some of the things, the COVID's impact on the residential and inpatient treatment system?
1: Yes, of course. So as an emergency physician, you know we were on the front lines uh, during the COVID pandemic when it first occurred. And at that time, I was actually working in the emergency department and also providing oversight uh, here at HiWatch. And, um, you know, the emergency department became uh, not just overrun by um, critically ill patients with COVID, but we also saw patients coming in an increasing number with um, psychiatric complaints related to the pandemic and uh, for substance use disorder. Um, uh, On the residential treatment side, when the pandemic first occurred, the concern was how we were going to keep the community safe and discussions were even going on about you know whether or not we could you know continue to keep our doors open uh, at a time where the need was critical.
0: And I think that's a a discussion that many providers have had and they've had to decide opposite uh, of what HiWatch has been able to do. They may have had to shut their doors because they didn't have you know protocols in place for such because who could have expected this um, I think the unique position that you have as an emergency position is that you're seeing it uh, f- from a certainly different perspective that adds and helps your role at HiWatch because you're seeing what's happening in a community as, as people uh, are entering.
1: Yes. And here at HighWatch, we were very fortunate in that our CEO was very proactive in doing everything possible Uh, to ensure that we keep our doors open and that we keep the population safe. In fact, um, we had uh, initially um, gotten the, uh, like everyone else, we were doing the screenings uh, for uh, pre-admissions, and we felt like, you know, that was okay, but certainly not ideal we expanded that to doing, um, you know, temperature checks on everyone as everyone did. But I think the real uh, strength at the beginning of the pandemic was that we recognized early on that, in addition to doing the temperature checks and the pre-admission screenings, that we had to do on we we had to do testing as fast as possible. So we were able to establish a concierge relationship uh, with the testing center. And we created a uh, quarantine uh, for new guests that were coming in. And we were able to uh, swab the guests that first came in after they passed the uh, pre-admission clearance. And we would uh, evaluate them over 72 hours and get the results back uh, and then release them into the community.
0: I think that that flexibility that you have or that, that the organization has shown is, is certainly a model for others. We know that in this field, we ask the folks that we serve to make all sorts of changes and to be flexible. And I know from working in this field for over 30 years and going around the country is we as providers aren't always the most flexible individuals in the world and aren't always the most open to change. But I think this is an opportunity that that we're seeing that people are becoming much more open to change uh, and, and kind of looking at different ways of doing things. So so what should someone seeking a residential inpatient treatment option, you know, this is for clients and referral sources, you know, who what should they look for in an organization if they were going to seek help in terms of their their safety?
1: Well, Again, you know, first, just getting back a little bit to the decision. you know, at the time, you know, we knew that Covid was killing, you know, I think that current numbers in the United States are about three hundred and fifty thousand people have passed away from Covid, but at the same time, we know that every year about ninety thousand people die. Uh, annually in the United States from alcohol use disorder and about 120 people die every day from opiate use disorder. So certainly over time, uh, many more people are going to have bad outcomes related to substance use disorder compared to COVID. Mm -hmm. So, And the need had become even greater during the pandemic. So that's why we really felt it was absolutely critical that we continue to keep the doors open. Um, As far as what, you know, get people should look for, I think you want to, one, make sure that uh, the organization is doing uh, pre-screening about COVID. Uh, Two, you want to make sure that they're ensuring mask utilization on campus and doing uh, social distancing. Uh, Three that if there is gonna be a quarantine process, that programming should be active, you know, uh, during that process as well. Um, as you know, we set up a sort of virtual IOP programming um, on site and in campus, um, even though we were ensuring the safety of the patients, we were doing it sort of contemporaneously. We were having therapists meet with them and providing online, you know, programming as well. So I think you want to make sure that you have all those things available.
0: And I think it's important to mention, and, and certainly you know this, and most of our, our listeners know that somebody with a substance use disorder is certainly at a greater risk for COVID because of the issues related to uh, the condition of their body, especially like with with opioids and the uh, CNS depressant activity that happens or the breathing and we, a high number of individuals at SUDs are cigarette smokers, which creates additional risk. So I think that you're in a position where you're, you've are you got some significant fragility in the people that are coming in the door, but, sti- um, but you want to meet their needs. So let's talk about the high watch process. You and I have talked about this before, and I found it absolutely fascinating um, that somebody comes in. And your first step in, during this pandemic is, let's just talk about what that is. The first step, somebody walks in and boom, what's the first step for iWatch?
1: Well, again, one, um, we wanna make sure that residential treatment is appropriate for the guest. And at the same time, that pre-admission process is doing the COVID-19 screening. So we're asking them about any potential contact, making sure that you know, they haven't been ill recently, and then after that process and once they're um, accepted into the treatment program, they're immediately evaluated by an RN um, and an admissions person on entry into the system and we do an on-site PCR test uh, for which we get the results back in about 45 minutes and the PCR test is actually the most sensitive test that's available right now And uh, currently what we do is once that test comes back, we uh, still now quarantine the person uh, for about 48 hours, and we evaluate their temperature, monitor them, uh, provide care, but keep them in a separate area. um, And then we repeat our PCR test 48 hours later. And if the individual uh, has you know, negative for the two PCRs, is not, you know, symptomatic, then they're um, entered into the system. And I, I think we have a really good uh, protocol right now, and I'm very comfortable that uh, that's the reason that we've been able to keep our guests safe.
0: When an individual enters that first 48 hours of quarantine for safety purposes, what's happening clinically and treatment-wise for their substitute disorder at that time?
1: Sure. So one is they're evaluated by either an addiction medicine physician and or a psychiatrist. This is in that first 48 hours. They're also seen and evaluated by a PA to do a full medical evaluation. They're seen and screened by a nurse. And then they're also evaluated by the therapist. And uh, they meet also with the step coach And they start engaging in the programs, some virtual and some, you know, in in smaller groups, uh, if weather permits, we've even done some of that outside. So they're engaged in the program. Their treatment begins. Uh, We review all their medications. We go through their medical history. They meet with the psychiatrist, the therapist, you know, and all the medical staff. And at the same time, you know, we're clearing them clinically from the COVID.
0: So what you, it sounds like you're saying is even during that quarantine period where you're helping to manage any issues with COVID that may arise and protecting them from that, it's really also almost an orientation program for someone to, to come into the treatment community face-to-face with
1: others. Yeah, I I, I think they're, they're, they're really getting treatment during that quarantine mm-hmm. period. And to be honest with you, I, I think actually some of the guests actually sort of appreciate you know, that, you know, that bit of time where they can sort of catch their breath and uh, are sort of uh, acclimated, you know, into the program, uh, rather than sort of just kind of, here's the program and uh, starting, um, you know, without any kind of, uh, uh, with, with, with more of a rapid or a less rapid orientation, if you will.
0: And I know it can be difficult for many individuals to kind of be thrust in the, it, you know r- right into the program without that period of time to kind of uh, you know adjust themselves because it, it can often be a, a really stressful uh, series of events until they can get settled into a program. So it's nice to be able to have a few minutes to or some time to to gather themselves, really prepare for what's ahead of them.
1: Yeah, and but I just really want to emphasize. I mean, there the programming you know starts from day one, hour one, um, it's just that it's done sort of carefully and uh, coordinated and in such a way that it ensures that uh, the community at large is safe.
0: That, that's outstanding. Um, and when somebody is fully engaged, they're out of the, that orientation period and, and or that that uh, quarantine period and they're involved with, with other guests... Um, are there any limitations on what you can do treatment-wise? Or are you able to maintain your usual program treatment uh, for those individuals? Has COVID created any problems with that?
1: Well, uh, t- t- uh, COVID's created lo- <laughs> lots of problems, and I, I think that the uh, theme, if you will, is you know, um, it- that it's been vi- the changes we've done have been very dynamic. We've making adaptations by uh, the testing capability that's available to us and what the incidence is in the uh, environment of of the virus itself. So we've had to rapidly uh, make changes and uh, sort of where we are now has sort of evolved over time. Uh, The other thing that we do for the guests is we have the ability on site to do uh, antibody testing and in addition to the PCR testing, we also uh, test all the guests uh, when they come in uh, to see whether or not they've had COVID nineteen in the past. Um, which you know is not so useful as far as the quarantine, but it's reassuring, you know, for the guests. And if we find out that they have antibodies, you know, they know that you know if you have IgG, essentially, you're immune. So that's that's um, reassuring, um, and that's really.
0: You know the initial process. You know clearly the safety um, is a priority, but you're able to manage that with the priority of getting the individuals the treatment that they're there for. And I and and I'm especially impressed with that because it's not one or the other. And in many cases, it may be that way. We've got to ensure safety, so this is on hold. But you're able to to kind of manage it all together and and probably through trial and error figured out what was going to work best.
1: Right, and we're very comfortable with the guests in treatment because we know they've gone through our quarantine process, and even when they're in the community, the staff and the guests continue to do, you know, social distancing. We are very aggressive with our mask utilization policy. Uh, We uh, have the guests um, eat together, um, but with distancing and we have the staff, you know, eat by themselves in their offices. And you know, the programming, though, for the most part, uh, is carried on. Uh, we've even, uh, although we had to interrupt it interrupted temporarily, we um, have reallowed to have the weekend, you know, the the visitation of other family members. And we actually have them come on campus, and we provide PCR swabs uh, for the family. And so, um, you know, the guests that, that have been here for a while do get to get, you know, visitation and we've even been able to do that in a reasonably safe fashion.
0: It, it's interesting that you're able to maintain that therapeutic community, um, using all the guidelines, but still being able to do that. And I was unaware about the, the, the change in the uh, ability to have family and do their weekend visiting. So I'm, I'm you know quite impressed with, with that. Um, as we, as you look forward, and we know that we're seeing kind of a bounce in the numbers the post-holiday, uh, uh, because of the individuals getting together with their families and traveling, et cetera, and we're seeing that increase. Are you seeing more individuals coming in at all that are testing positive upon entry?
1: Yes, we've had you know a, a good number of guests come in and swab positive. If someone does swab positive, um, you know we still want to make sure that those people get the care they need. So although we do discharge them, what we do is we you know instruct them to follow up with their medical provider to get you know the care for the COVID-19. Um, but we also engage them in our IOP program while they're at home quarantining, and then we have them uh, come back once they're cleared and re-enroll in the system. And we've basically made, it, made the ability to sort of take them, you know, anyone who's been here and if they come in and they swab positive, you know, we make the insurance work and, um, you know, we, we take them back.
0: What, what kind of feedback are you getting from guests who have tested positive and are getting the IOP virtually? Uh, any feedback from them about that process?
1: Yeah, I, um, I, I've had multiple guests uh, come to me. And you know, we, I, I speak with the population on many occasions. Uh, the other thing we do is we are fully transparent with the guests. And whenever there is an incident, someone swabs positive in the, the quarantine area, um, or if somebody were to become uh, ill in the population and there's a concern, Uh, we sort of meet with all the guests, let them know what we're doing, let them know what the actions are. And, uh, you know, many of them have come to me and and said that they've, you know, been very appreciative of the efforts we've taken to keep them safe.
0: I think just the fact that you're continuing with, it's fully informed, uh, it's patient informed treatment. And I'm, you know, from my experience in working with individuals over the years with SUDs, they're not especially used to people being fully honest with them about things. And there's that leeriness that someone's trying to put something over on them. And I think it's such a a, a great therapeutic tool to for have them be fully aware of what's going on in that transparency, because it, it not only does it add to the community, but it's changing the perspective for them. It's putting them in a position that they're not used to, but it's a good position to learn how to kind of uh, take things at face value and expect that transparency.
1: Yeah, I, I, I certainly agree with that. And, you know, just to elaborate, you know, obviously there's stigma associated uh, for patients with substance use disorder. And I think that when the guests come through our system And they're very appreciative, not just of everything that we're doing to keep them safe, but I think overall how well they're treated. And um, the other thing that we emphasize, even though we have, you know, a full nursing staff, psychiatrists, physician and therapists, you know, the strength of our program is based on the 12 steps. Um, We're the oldest uh, 12-step uh, residential treatment center, certainly in the area. And uh, so I think it's refreshing to the guests that um, we sort of have the medical team here and provide the care, yet um, we are based and are very supportive of the, the 12-step program.
0: And because people are aware of that, I mean, that's common knowledge because of the history of of high watch and people know kind of what they're getting into. I think there's safety in that, especially during these times of, of unrest, you know, that, that, yeah, certainly unrest when things are, we're not really sure about a lot. But when someone knows the type of environment and and their expectations are met by going into high watch, I think that that's important uh, to provide some, some safety uh, you know that that uh, emotional safety of, of they know what they're getting into and I think that that's important there's no surprises uh, they know the 12step edit it's a 12step based program and they can expect that when they go in
1: a- absolutely and you know at the beginning people were very concerned, to come into a residential treatment center where you're surrounded by lots of people at the time of a pandemic but what transitioned over time is that as our process got so sophisticated and our capabilities were so enhanced uh, I was very comfortable telling them you know listen you know you're on the outside in the community Um, you know you're using your substance you know you're probably going outside you're engaging people here everybody within this community is getting pcr tested antibody tested social distancing and mask utilization is being enforced we're letting you know about every uh potential exposure that occurs and taking very aggressive action and doing contact tracing whenever that occurs so I believe very strongly, and my argument, I think, to the guests is pretty convincing that you're much safer here at Watch getting your treatment, uh, but also from the COVID perspective.
0: And I would agree. I think that it's it's unusual a lot of times for people that come into treatment to get such information to them, uh, that transparency, that honesty, that openness about what's happening. And I think it's appreciated. Now, we had a conversation before, and and you talked about some incredible uh, um, numbers in terms of cases that have occurred while at at High Watch and the low numbers. Can you talk about some of that a little bit?
1: Sure. So at the onset of the pandemic to uh, current day, which was over, you know, probably a six-month period here in Connecticut. Only two guests um, had uh, gotten through our system, uh, and who uh, had swabbed positive through our quarantine process, and our mask utilization, and social distancing, and daily temperature checks was so well enforced that no other community member uh, became ill. And uh, so of the hundreds of patients that we've admitted through the entire pandemic, only two uh, ended up uh, developing COVID-19, and both of which were immediately isolated, you know, discharged to appropriate care, uh, fully recovered from their illness, um, and were re-engaged into treatment without any adverse effects to the community. So I, I do think the numbers are staggering. Uh, and in fact, um, we have uh, uh, published, well, we're, we uh, wrote an article, uh, which I expect to be uh, published shortly, uh, about our experience here.
0: It certainly is, is what I would consider to be an emerging best practice. Um, that people need to know about. And I'm glad that, that you had mentioned about the research uh, to me previously. And it also shows for the larger community, what you're showing is in a kind of con- close environment where there's some close quarters, even with social distancing, um, that the prophylactic measures make a big, big difference. The simple things about temperature and mass are huge. Um, and and I think oftentimes that's forgotten out in the general public Um, Until we know or see someone, it happens to us personally. So, uh, um, I think that that's a message that can go out to the larger community as well, is how well that works um, in an environment where there's close quarters. Um, Before we finish up, um, let me give you an opportunity to tell me why, um, you've done some of this, why HiWatch is the place to go for some folks. Um, who have who, who are appropriate for that level of care. Why choose HiWatch? You get to do a little advertising.
1: Okay, well, I appreciate that. So as a board-certified addiction medicine specialist um, and being very knowledgeable about, uh, you know, the treatment of substance use disorder and being very knowledgeable about medication-assisted therapy, um, I've seen the results here. Uh, from HiWatch. And I see the way the guests are treated and um, how not just successful they are in their recovery, um, but um, how good they feel and appreciative they are about the care. And as I tell our guests, while the doctors and the psychiatrists and the therapists at HighWatch are of the highest quality, the true strength of the program here at High Watch is the 12-step program. They've been doing that successfully here for about 80 years when Bill Wilson and Marty Mann came to the chapel uh, that's that's still here today. And about 60 or 70% of the people here at High Watch are in recovery, um, which I think is a tremendous asset because the guests can really relate with them and the people that are uh delivering the program can say yes i do know what you're going through because i've been there and uh I, it, it's just uh, it's a tremendous program and uh i would certainly recommend it for and have for uh, colleagues uh physicians non-physicians uh and uh family members
0: and uh, i can certainly attest to the quality of the staff i know several of them for many years um and i certainly have a fondness for your clinical director as well since since she's my boss technically <laughs> but i've known her for many many years as well probably about 12 years um and i'll send jerry the marketing bill <laughs> anything that you'd like to add dr boris before we
1: close uh, no, I just, uh, I, I really appreciate uh, the opportunity to uh, talk about uh, what we've done. And um, I hope that uh, in some way uh, it might result in some uh, patients uh, getting care.
0: And so, what's the website that people can access information about the program?
1: Our website is www.highwatchrecovery.org.
0: So that's www.highwatch, high watch recovery org
1: uh, dr w- boris w- thanks w- for w- your w- time
0: w- and that's going to do it for this episode of scope and practice again i'd like to thank dr boris for joining us and i also want to express our gratitude to high watch recovery center for allowing him the time to speak with us we here at the connecticut certification board appreciate everyone who's listening and don't forget to follow us on podbean itunes amazon or your favorite podcast application until next time stay safe Stay healthy and also stay vigilant. Thank you.